0: Well, coming into Q4, it's game time for many nonprofits with regard to fundraising. And that's exactly what this podcast is about how to do a lot more with those fundraising efforts this quarter. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of WholeWhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Q4, as you know, is the time when people tend to open up their wallets and start writing checks for the nonprofits they care about, which is why we thought it'd be an awesome time for this series of podcasts. This one's particularly fun. We, uh, we did it at our Whole Whale U Live event. Whole Whale U Live is a series of events that we did on the ground, as well as our online e-learning courses uh, around different digital analytics and strategies. So this one's around donor analytics. And uh, you'll get some of that background noise of the, you know, the audience that was there. But we wanted to do it live because there's a great energy in the room. Uh, this first conversation is with the cause effect of a great nonprofit building, you know, capacity building inside of nonprofits profits uh, around, uh, around this field, and we spoke with the uh, associate director, Greg Cohen, really about their approach uh, to fundraising, using analytics effectively for, you know, small to mid-sized nonprofits. I am sure you're going to get something out of this, so let's jump into it. Greg, thanks for joining us. Can you
1: tell us who you are and where you are from? Sure. Uh, Greg Cohen, I'm associate director of a nonprofit called Cause Effective. We're here in New York City, and we're a capacity building organization, which means we're a teach a person to fish organization with a focus in three areas um, of relationship-based fundraising, and that's primarily teaching groups how to do individual fundraising with a stewardship approach. Uh, strengthening boards of directors for both governance and planning, and to make board members confident and effective fundraisers. And the strategic use of special events. High-level planning of matching event objectives to the capacity of the organization, and setting realistic goals for budgeting, particularly on the revenue side, so that organizations don't say, we'll get Beyonce, we'll rent the plaza, and we'll have our first million dollar gala rent. The most they've raised at an event is $50,000 per so we, I like to say we prevent groups from doing a Thelma and Louise when they, when their board gets excited about running their first big special event. So we've been around 35 years, which has meant that we've had a chance to work with about 5,000 not-for-profits, all pretty much in the New York City tri-state region. And I've been there nine years after uh, a full career in nonprofits, including six startups.
0: Very cool. So we were actually curious about the audience. Uh, who here has uh, a fundraising program that does, uh, let's say over 100,000 uh, a year? Okay, so those of you playing at home, we had about half the audience, and then under 100,000, just to make sure my math works. Okay, um, anyone over a million? Okay, anyone over two million? Three, four. Just curious. So we had a couple hands up there towards the end. So we have a, an interesting distribution. I didn't see Michael J. Fox Foundation's hands go up. Uh, they also do very, very well by, I think, fundraising efforts. So um, Greg, can you explain what your approach to
1: using fundraising data uh, really is and how you make it practical? Sure. So we, we're working on a very fundamental level because the groups that are coming to us either are just getting started in the business or have had great success with sources of fundraising like government and foundations. And now recognize they want to raise some unrestricted money and um, look at other groups that are having a lot of success with individual fundraising and want to get into it for the first time. So uh, so very few are starting by raising money online. It's much more high touch fundraising that we're, we're teaching them. So when we think about data, it's really within six degrees of separation. How many people can you reach in a high touch fashion? to talk about your work. And we, we have an equivalent of your funnel, and I have a slide for that, connection to the asker or connection to, to the mission. So we work with those groups, and uh, uh, you. I know you're gonna ask me what my key performance indicator is. A big one for us is how many people are out there asking on behalf of your charity? So again, we're not online. This is uh, This is people who really care about an organization reaching out to their networks. To uh, to ask others, which is a very fundamental way. I think even in big national charities, if you look and see where major gifts are coming from, they're not coming over the online threshold. You have board members who are out there reaching out within the wealthy people in their networks and. Uh, bringing in those gifts.
0: So when I talk about the 80-20 rule obviously can be applied to our effort but also in the fundraising efforts, um, does that make you, with regard to hitting an overall giving target, does that make so, you more... So I've so got my own, a couple uh,
1: 20, uh, here, go ahead, okay, there we go, 10-20-70 rule is our equivalent. Good. And, and this is that typically if you're raising 10,000 or more from individuals, if you analyze where the money's coming from, a small number of large donors, 10% or less, is giving you 60% or more of your money. 20% of your donors are giving you about 20%, and 70% of your donors, the people you think of as my, our people, they're, they're the ones who are driving us, are just making the small $25, $35 gifts and only account for 20%. So we use this to inform where do you prioritize in terms of where you're putting in your money uh, and your time in in fundraising. And in terms of uh, tools, the 10% is all high touch, one-to-one, if you can do it face-to-face. 20% is special events where you can do some personalization, but you can reach more people. And then 70% is where you're using social media and online, because you can hit a lot of them cheaply and without investing a whole lot of uh, of time so that's my equivalent of the 80 of 20 in terms of guiding where you're putting your total basket of fundraising time so it sounds like you're more of a, a long uh, less of a long
0: term more of a a big whale kind of guy if you're saying our absolutely long-term. we're
1: looking for people who are working you know major it's so much easier to get a large gift from face-to-face ask than uh, uh, try to you know separate out 100 people through the funnel. So why
0: bother at all? Why not just chop off this, like, you know, 90% of the donors and just
1: focus on top ten? Why do they even matter at all? Well, for financial health, you don't want to be too dependent on a small number of people uh, that, you know, we work a lot of organizations that come to us and say, our donor base is graying, how do we connect with younger donors, right? So you've got to feed from the bottom in a sense. Uh, of connecting with people and you're moving people up the scale uh, at the same time. If we could just get major donors sure spend the time there. The board members typically are saying we raised all that money from foundations you know you write one proposal and you get two hundred fifty thousand and you know why am I even bothering asking my friends? Well because that doesn't last forever and uh, you need diversity in your sources of revenue particularly uh, say to whether uh, 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 recession, or uh, uh, foundations are fickle, so they shift. So you want many diverse sources in your revenue.
0: Now, what about the opportunity to say, uh, maybe there's a diamond in the rough out there. You know, you have a bunch of larger sample size talking about 90% of your donors. Uh, When we talk about, I don't know, some data mining and data appending with wealth, could there be like that? So that would
1: be really exciting to do. Most of my organizations, I'm really just convincing them move your data from an Excel spreadsheet into a, a CRM so that you can communicate regularly and start to keep track of how many times you talk to them or communicate them. That's that's typically the level. Very few are at the point where they have enough data to analyze it. But we ask them the basics. And actually, your deeper donor analysis is the straight template for the questions that we Want our organizations to be asking of their database who's repeating their gifts, how often, what's that retention rate, and so that they're they're doing that last stage of thinking and learning and adapting their their strategies.
0: So I went sort of on and on in my recent uh, presentation there about retention. It's like how do you let this many people slip away from you year over year? Am I making much ado about nothing on this? Is it really just you know people are going to come and go at that 90% of my donor range and just let them let them do?
1: So, no, it's super important. It's so much easier to keep an existing donor and get them to upgrade than to bring in a new donor. So just, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, As I said, it's the opposite of the Wall Street saying uh, your best customer is your next customer. Um, I I said what we teach uh, our clients is stewardship because just like when you walked on your campus, and uh, even before you took on all those student loans, your college was saying to you, you are here in part thanks to the generosity of those who came before you, and you too will become a donor. From day one, they are starting to build your sense of community and oneness. And they're gonna take, they, you know, they look at your lifetime value as a donor, and they're gonna build it up uh, over time. We, when we say people are stepping into relationship-based fundraising, we say you better be ready to stick with this it's not a one-shot thing you're building a relationship and a sense of community between you and your donors and for us often the big switch is for the program people we want you to think about your donors in the same way you think about your clients they're another constituency that's just as important for a sustained operation yeah.
0: alright so let's play a little role playing here uh, I'm not a hot mess right like, with regard to my data right now I'm, I have a CRM that's pretty good. We have donor information, we have contact information. What's the next smartest thing I should be doing? Let's say I'm like right under, right around that 100,000. What is the next smartest thing I should do with regard to segmentation
1: using this tool? So I, I would use a lot of the, the same questions you're, you're asking, which is, um, which communications seem effective in bringing people back to donate a second time during the year? Um, we're really big on segmentation and that notion that you use a different message for different parts of your market. A lot of our clients talk to their donors in the same way they talk to their clients and their foundation. They have one way of telling their story and we want to break it down. And also, and this is the hard part, why we don't encourage them to start online, you have to do a lot of listening and understand what's the worldview of your donor that brings them to you and what are they looking for in exchange for their gift. Do they want to associate with other people at events uh, that they want to make? They want to network with. Um, do they want recognition? So you, they need to put their name up on the website or. Um, someplace are they uh, looking for reports on your outcomes and so you better be reporting back here's what we did in part thanks to your gift in terms of documenting our impact so we spent a lot of time teaching people go out and hear what people what matters to people and tailor your message back to them
0: nice so you talked a little bit about events um, how many of you in the audience do a some sort of fundraising event be it a chicken dinner or a some type, of, some type of call. Great, so we have a bunch of hands going probably about 80%. You know, the, the classic chicken dinner, sitting there, we have, let's say, we have a room right here. If this were a fundraising event, what are the key factors to success with regard to total fundraising that you would look at? We have our room here. Is it the, the giving moment? Is it the prep? How are you getting the most out of this room right now?
1: So if it uh, depends on the structure of the event, but let's say it's a classic gala, we're going to start by saying You got to pick honorees in part for people who are going to join you and want to have you reach a fundraising goal. Maybe they're a little competitive. What did someone do last? What did the honorees do last year? And then you want to get major sponsors, and that's going to at least you're going to try to cover the entire cost of your event, if not get 60 to 80 percent of your total goal. Very hard to make your goal selling seats and tables, actually. So that's one way of structuring. Um, I don't know you want to ask more detail. Or what is the 8020 at the event effort, right? So we're. Oh, it's, uh, it's totally in the setup for uh, money honorees and sponsorships versus uh, ticket sales. Typically. The ones you see in the New York Times that are breaking a million dollars, all set up that way.
0: Yeah, I hate those <laughs> guys. That's so freaking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any questions uh, from the audience? audience?
1: Your experience,
0: do you know? I'm getting like a weird look. have a event on Saturday. <laughs> One of those silly little chicken dishes. I, oh, right I don't know. Some anniversary of the ranch Is it going to look like there? I don't know. Is that like a Waldorf, a Waldor, one of the Waldorf's? The Waldorf Astoria? Yes. I don't know, It's some on that. Any um, questions? Any questions? Yes, question over here. Yeah, okay. so what about a, you said, you know, if it's your traditional typical gala, what if you're a smaller organization that that is not yours? Thing that you're doing. You're not doing a chicken dinner, you're not at the Waldorf, you don't have Dave Matthews playing. Have you seen another model from a smaller side that where you
1: still feel honoree sponsorship? uh, um, So to repeat the question if you're not ready or not, uh, if you're small and not ready to do a big gala, uh, I start with house parties, right? Get people in, maybe without a ticket at all, and then make a pitch uh, when they've heard the compelling story from a client or a program person uh, is a great great and low-cost way to start. You build up the, the best thing to do when planning an event is think about the people who are your target attendees and call them and ask, we're thinking about setting up an event. We'd love to have people just like you. Can I ask you a few questions? Would you be willing to pay this? Is this the kind of event that you would be attracted to and would you bring friends? And people generally honored that you would ask them for advice, and it's going to give you the best sense of whether it's going to work or not, as distinct from what your board will be guessing as they plan the, the event around the table, which is typical with and dreamy and non-realistic.
0: Yeah, just still a little bit more on that. The the young professionals network of the Michael J. Fox. Um, foundation is actually very effective. My wife is actually uh, on and had actually created that. And it's a group, city by city in this case, of young professionals that care about the organization. They don't have a ton of money, but they do have a ton of friends, and they can get them to do things like a masquerade ball that is, you know, delegated to them to run inform form, or even just like a bar event. So these primer events are a good sort of try before you buy type of thing. One last question, if at all, for Greg. Yes? Uh, can you recall what you said before with the large um, events, like what the money making in that event was? You were saying they, they buy
1: into it, but it wasn't that. Well, was- I, I would say it's kind of tiered, the money you get from your honorees who are committing to a goal, and then major sponsors, then it's table sales, and then at the bottom it's ticket sales very hard to drive to a significant goal just not taking sense you you want people who come in uh, and 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 i'll say it because it's unusual for some groups you actually say to an honoree we would like to honor you because we think with your help we could raise a million dollars this year uh and uh we are thinking that you could help us get to uh, 250 toward that that million is that something you'd be willing to do? Sounds crass. What, you're honoring me because you want money? Of course everybody knows that. And every experienced honoree uh, goes through that. Most groups that we work with are afraid to mention the money that they want from the honoree. Guess how much the honoree donates? Nothing. Particularly if it's a celebrity, because they feel their name is worthwhile. And some then send a bill, actually, for their hotel and their airfare. So. Uh, seems like you're talking
0: from experience here. <laughs> Yeah, I want to spell it. Get a couple of drinks and I maybe we'll get a name. Does it rhyme with me? All righty. Final question. How do people find you? How do people help you? Great. So um,
1: there, there is a slide. Live. Yeah. Uh, I'd be happy to take emails or, or questions We're right here in New York. Greg at and our, our website. And I, uh, I, I put some literature on the back. Greg
0: at effective.org, Thank you for joining us. True. We'll you live. My pleasure. Right. I put a lot of emphasis, you know, leading into this around the power law, that idea that 20% of our work results in 80% of the results. That. 20% of our audience results in 80% of the funds or results that happen. And, you know, this this plays out uh, loosely, but Greg backed that up with, you know, their example showing that, in fact, uh, in their experience, 20% of the donors provide 60% of the, the net result in terms of, of dollars given. So my question to the audience really was, how do you think about prioritizing your time in Q4? How do you think about... Uh, really making sure you are spending your time effectively with potentially those high-end donors, you're implementing strategies, you're using uh, the proper data and segmentation uh, in order to better reach, cultivate, uh, and nurture those relationships. Lots to cover. So. We're going to have tons of resources. You can actually find some of those presentation notes inside of, you guessed it, show notes. Uh, this is episode 60. So you can find that on our site, com slash podcast for more information. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast. And consider following us on Twitter at whole whale, well. and thanks for joining us. As always, intro, outro, and interlude music by the one and only Greg Thomas, gregthomasmusic.org. Yeah, that sounds right, gregthomasmusic.org. Uh, find him, listen to him, and if you are uh, in need of custom music, this guy's uh, he's he's phenomenal, and he can, he can obviously work on many different levels. Do it. Get in touch with him.